as I, I know, we have come to a portion that's in uh, chapter 17, 18 and all as we read, it's quite exciting because you can, you can almost visualize what's happening around you and you can connect with this chapter in such a way that it appears to be as though it's written just yesterday for the events that are happening today. If you're a student of history and if you know what has happened in the history, uh, you will be able to boldly say history repeats itself. Uh, for some of us, things that are happening are not nice. Uh, we might think as though it's happening for the first time. Uh, but in the history, these things have been done and what has happened to them. That's what the book of Revelation uh, you know, teaches us. It gives us the encouragement and also the message that God is in control of this uh, universe. So we are studying the seven bowls of God's wrath. Uh, it's there right from Revelation chapter 15, 1 to Revelation chapter 18, 24. And uh, right now we are in uh, chapter 18. Uh, we are now in verses 9 to 20. Here we are seeing crying kings. Uh, it's unusual. Kings don't cry. And mourning merchants. Uh, you don't see business people. Business people always, they have an air about themselves. If you have interacted with them, uh, they just have an arrogance. Uh, they, they, they think they rule over the world. And it's interesting to see that Revelation talks about crying kings and mourning merchants. Uh, if we saw last uh, Wednesday, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her, uh, luxury, see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Oh, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon, in one hour your doom has come. Interesting. So we go to the next verse, and the next uh, verse, number 11, it says, The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. The, the merchants, you know, if you, if you see the business deals, if you see the, the business people flying from one end to another and striking business deals, uh, you know, they have been, they're used to this great commerce and trade. Now they, they are weeping and they're mourning because there is no one to buy their cargoes anymore. Both the kings and the merchants, uh, they're, uh, they're hands in glove. So they all profited from Babylon's rule uh, because, uh, because they had the patronage of the Babylon king or the empire of Rome, emperor of Rome. Uh, they all made money profited they use it for their personal um, comfort and john is telling they're going to cry they'll weep and mourn over her uh, you can you can relate it so well today also it is the laws are passed because business people are interested because they are forcing they don't care how many will die or how many will be deprived of their livelihood they don't care what they want to say is in terms of development, they want money. That's what's happening today also. 
the world's love is always self-interested and not self-sacrificing. You know, privatization is good only to some extent. Beyond that, it is diabolical, it is evil, and it is not helping the people. Uh, so that's what happened in, in times of John, and that's what happened down through the history, and that's what's happening even today. Uh, you, you read the history of, uh, even if you read about America, I don't want to name uh, 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 our country. If you read the history of America, how the legislations were passed, how the corporates were interested, how they will propose the legislation, how they were funding the people, the senators who are interested, you know, who will be passing those legislations. So the, the business people are always, they're selfish, they're interested in their cells. So they are close to the people in power and uh, you know sitting in Bangalore you can see how the buildings have come up and how people are being put into trouble because they don't follow any building rules it's it's because basically they want to make money and that's what happened in in times of uh, John and the longest laments they come from the merchants that's interesting because they are the people who profited much. The Rome's profit went to these merchants. So now these rich people, the so-called upper class people uh, who, who were all benefited because of Rome, when they see the destruction of Rome, uh, they are they're shocked. They don't know what to do. You know, they, you know, people said Rome was the mightiest empire next to that of the gods. That was the kind of glory Rome had. And this Rome, the government of Rome, or uh, the rulers of Rome were persecuting God's children. And that's what we are seeing this. And if you read, if you analyze their trade policies, there was no fairness. Even today, if you analyze all the trade policies and other things, each one wants to benefit uh, from some other country. That's what's happening even today. Uh, people are not interested in welfare. Uh, rich people are not interested in welfare of the poor people. There are systemic corruption everywhere. And that's what's uh, very clear from Revelation chapter 18. Uh, if you read history, there was one ruler called Aulus Vitellius. You know, the, this emperor, he was there only for eight months, just for eight months, from six, the, the dates, exact dates, he 16th April to 22nd December AD 69. He was emperor only for eight months, and is in these eight months, he wasted something more than $20 million, mainly on extravagant foods. You need to know this background so that you will understand what's happening uh, in this book. And you know what kind of delicacies? Um, I don't know whether these things are allowed in the modern day restaurants. Uh, you know, delicacies like peacock's brains, and nightingale's tongues. 
And if you read the number of nightingales that were killed, peacocks that were killed, you'll be shocked. That's the kind of extravaganza uh, that was practiced by people in Rome. So one of the uh, historian writing on the merchants and, uh, on, and uh, people who owned ships, he says something like this, from Egypt, North Africa and the Black Sea region, they ferried some four lakh tons of grain annually for the capital city. You know, all the grains that were produced in the provinces were brought to Rome. While provincials paid high prices for grain and sometimes had none. In fact, people in Egypt, though they produced these grains, uh, it was not available to the local people there because they were exporting. Because merchants could make more money by exporting rather than selling in the local market. After all, one has to be shrewd in business, is it not? So that's what they indulged in. But the reason they were doing all this is for profit. As a result, the local people had to pay more for grain and sometimes they had no grain. Because two lakhs families in Rome received from the government a regular dole. That's the ration of free grain. The, you know, the emperor wanted to keep the people in Rome happy because if he doesn't feed them, there'll be a riot. It's not the emperor was only just, you know, he was just or he was good emperor, not at all. But so long as he was feeding them, entertaining them, you know, that, that's the way they buy the uh, allegiance of people. You hear people saying that votes are bought. <coughs> it's something like that. It's happening. It's happening down through the history. They buy the loyalty of people, the allegiance of people. <coughs> so these two lakh families in Rome were fed well, but the people in the provinces uh, they were deprived of food. Imagine if we are in a country like Egypt or North Africa, a Black Sea region, we see in our own country things being produced, but we are unable to buy that. That was the situation that was prevailing because of this mightiest empire. Rich people always exploit, most of the time, they exploit poor people. Rich countries, most of the time, they exploit poor countries. That's the way governments work, and that's the way governments work even today. That's the way it works. Uh, <coughs> so uh, the the reason, be, you know, one of the things we should remember is Rome's commercial interests also propagated its pagan religion. How Rome's commercial interest also propagated its pagan religion. How Ashra, while doing the exports and imports, uh, they, they also bought in some of the customs from the other places. Yeah, they, they also, but uh, if you just recollect the earlier chapter, uh, you know, in uh, Revelation chapter 13, we saw that unless they have a mark, the name of the beast or the number of, unless they had this mark, 
they could not uh, do business. Uh, so that's that's the way they have to um, participate in the emperor worship and other practices. And in fact, you can survive in that regime unless you had the mark on your right hand or on your forehead so that you could, if you don't have, you cannot buy or sell. So all these merchants, uh, they went with the uh, pagan religion or the emperor uh, worship. And it was a problem for the followers of Jesus because Christians could no longer participate in an unjust commercial network, thoroughly saturated with idolatrous uh, patriotism. Uh, we are facing struggles like that. People, followers of Christ have been uh, facing this kind of uh, situation down through the history. Uh, it could be idolatrous patriotism, or you call it as cultural nationalism or whatever it is. You know, they'll force you that unless you worship this God, then you don't belong to this country. Uh, it's, it's not something new. It has happened in the past and uh, it's happening now. So this is a book which is uh, contemporary in nature. It's addressing the present day situations and it is addressing, you know, when we read the history, it gives the reasons why this empire, uh, why did this empire fail? It was so powerful, so influential. Uh, today, what you see as the richest country, I doubt in 50 years or 100 years, will it remain in the same place? It's not possible because, uh, because there are many things that are happening. Power corrupts absolutely and absolute corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it is happening in every country. Uh, so we go to the next two verses, Revelation 18, 12 and 13. The merchants, the longest lament comes from merchants and there's no one to buy. Buy what? Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh, and frankincense, of, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carrots, carriages and human beings sold as slaves. There are almost 27 items, I think, in this two verses. Now, what is striking in this verse? Out of those 27 items, what is striking in this verse? One is uh, the, the, the articles all belong to the rich people. And you know they, they are the only ones who are able to buy that. The poor can't buy that. Human beings sold as slaves. Yes, that's that is the striking thing. Human beings sold as slaves. <clears throat> you know, of course, these Romans, uh, Rome's rich people, uh, they typically flaunted about their gold. 
the first item is gold and silver. Um, our culture does that. Uh, go for any social functions. You can see the amount of gold. Your value comes because of the amount of gold you wear. That's the worldly culture. And um, living in a society, we tend to um, embrace certain cultures even without uh, realizing. So that's that's the culture that uh, these rulers propagated, and that's what the people also uh, followed. It's all about gold and silver. The city imp imported most of these metals from Spain. And uh, the people in Rome, they owned a number of mines uh, in Spain. Uh, you know, if you read the history, they confiscated uh, from their owners. So it's not that they acquired their property in legal ways. Illegally, they acquired the, mine, the, the uh, mines. And when you read the history, it says the slaves who worked such mines rarely lived for more than a few years. Of course, who cares? Because their lives, it doesn't matter. But there is a God who is watching over all these things. They had no other alternatives. These slaves had no other alternative but to work. Either they have to work or they'll be killed. And they lived only for a few years. But God was watching all that. Uh, they imported the precious stones, uh, mostly from India. Uh, you know, the kind of stones normally worn in men's rings, uh, but especially by women. You can see some of the people wear so many stones um, in, in their hands. So this was mainly from India. And also they secured some uh, pearls, <clears throat> pearls from uh, the Red Sea, from the Persian Gulf. And uh, the most abundant source again was from India. Uh, of course, silk was imported from China. Uh, and when, he, when we're talking about citron wood, uh, it's a kind of uh, scented wood, a special kind of wood, uh, mostly imported from North Africa. And uh, tables made of citron wood were considered to be most expensive. In fact, uh, one of the historians, he says, uh, one table was sold for the price of a large estate. Uh, this is the kind of wealth they had. Uh, of course, the spice, uh, it all went from South India. They used to import. So you can imagine the kind of sea trade they had, the kind of money they made. Uh, you know, the incense was used not only for the religious rituals, uh, but also to perfume wealthy homes. Uh, they, they got used to this kind of comfort. The rich people in Rome, they were not concerned about justice or lives of others. And that's an error. That's where you know, the book of Revelation is being written to people who are used to this kind of wealth. Now, when do you say your culture is advanced or civilized? We talk about this country is advanced, that country is advanced. So, but when do you truly say a culture is advanced or civilized? Is there a way 
that we can say yes this is an advanced culture or it is a civilized culture i think as a christian we will we will view it differently uh, we would see them as you know there's equality you know of uh, you know there's a of people equality among people as well as you know there's a lot of kindness with the people is you know, as danny said that justice you know equality justice fairness any country uh, as pastor in any country when people learn to respect other human beings uh, without seeing their color faith creed caste uh, religion language they respect them as human beings uh, that is the culture which is advanced or civilized it doesn't matter how rich is a country how poor is a country a rich country is a country which values other human beings and any philosophy which doesn't give this uh, which doesn't advocate equality or the worth of a human being human beings are made in the image of god uh, it doesn't matter what their names are their faith what's their faith it doesn't matter language that's the that's the country we can say we can call it as an advanced country or civilized this country was so rich rome was so rich and it is said human beings sold as slaves uh now why human beings sold as slaves it doesn't mean that rome did not have slaves Uh, but these are the slaves uh, which were you know they were reserved for their gladiatorial shows uh, as i told you that they'll be sent to the uh, amphitheaters to entertain the crowd and they'll be killed in a gruesome manner and these slaves were meant for that uh, because rome needed this constant flow of the slaves just to keep its uh, public happy and entertained imagine the public was happy when people were killed here also you know we here also we see that how brutally people are being killed because because his eating habits are different or his faith is different same thing it's only that it's not happening in a theater but it's happening openly and that's what was happening in those days uh, they say by john's time slaves made up almost half of the population of the city because they needed slaves they were so rich they needed slaves to work in their homes in their estates to take care of their things those were different kinds of slaves and they need another category of slaves uh who will just uh who would meant for uh, entertainment uh the along with the manual and clerical workers in the houses of the great there were others whose fate was to fight for their lives 
and to die for the entertainment of the Roman crowds. That is the kind of situation. And uh, Christians were considered as criminals and they were also sent to these amphitheaters. But they did not give up on that faith. That's amazing. The first century Christians, they did not renounce their faith and that's amazing. And they stood their ground. Uh, there was huge import from other countries. Uh, you know, people say that uh, Rome was a center of international trade and no such trade existed like Rome's for a thousand years after its fall. So you can imagine the kind of prosperity, you know, no one would have dreamt this country is going to be destroyed. No one would have dreamt, no one would have even predicted because they were so powerful and they were so rich. Uh, so in 14 and 15, it says, they will say the fruit you long for is gone from you. They're used to getting all delicious fruits. So they will say the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. Why do the merchants stand far off, terrified at her torment? You know, most of the trade is by ship, by sea. So when these merchants, they bring their cargoes in their ship and they see the city is burning, which we have already seen that your city will be destroyed by fire. And when they see that this, this is going to, the city is under fire, is being destroyed, they are terrified. For some of them, they must not have taken the payments. Now what's going to happen? Some of them must have bought a ship. What's going to happen? They are concerned about their own uh, lives. So they are terrified. And so they stand far off and they mourn. They cry, the merchants, they cry. Uh, basically, the language is from the book of Ezekiel, because Tyre was considered as an economic power during the prophet Ezekiel's time. And this is the same language the prophet Ezekiel also will use in Ezekiel 26, 17, 18. He says, then they think, then they will take up a lament concerning you, that's Tyre, and say to you how you are destroyed, city of renown, peopled by men of the sea. They were also too good in their sea trade. You were a power on the seas, you and your citizens. You put your terror on all who lived there. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall. The islands in the sea are terrified at your collapse. And Tyre was destroyed. And John is using the same language to say that Rome will also be destroyed. We go to the next verse in 16, they will weep. Merchants, they'll weep. These rich people will weep. Only time they'll weep is when their money is taken from them. I don't think they love their family members also. When money is taken from them, they'll weep. They will weep, mourn and cry out. Oh, woe to you, great city. <coughs> Sorry dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, 
and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. They are so sad. They've lost all their investment because it was one of the powerful city uh, that the ancient Mediterranean had ever known. They were so powerful. They were able to get things from you know, countries like India, China, uh, wherever it was possible, they were able to import uh, things. So they were very powerful. So now the merchants are crying because they have lost their money. You know, people in the provinces, they couldn't even imagine that Rome will be destroyed because they were so wealthy. No one could ever think, if at all, if at all, it will not happen to Rome, but it could happen to some other country, but not to Rome, because Rome is all, all powerful. It's happening in the modern day history also, when people thought our country is invincible, then they had certain terrorist attacks. It's, it's history, you read the history in detail, you will, you will see that history repeats history. Uh, it repeats itself. And even today, they may have all kinds of weapons and they think when we are invincible and that is the time something happens. There's a God who's seated on the throne who is watching all this, uh, the kind of exploitation that's going around. Uh, people who have been made in his image, he's concerned about them. Uh, Jesus came and died for the entire humanity, not for few people. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God is concerned and he will uh, give justice. He will deliver that justice. He will execute that justice. So we go to the next two verses in 17 and 19, 17 to 19. In one, such, in one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain, all who travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they'll exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? No, there was never a city like this. They will throw dust on their heads and with weep, weeping and mourning cry out, oh, woe to you, great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. It's like owning a ship is like owning like an aircraft. So that's the kind of prosperity money they made. But in one hour, she has been brought to ruin. And many merchants, they must have lost their wealth. They must have borrowed money. They did not get their payments. They, know, they must be expecting, oh, next time I go, when I deliver this cargo, I will get the payment for my previous cargo. Now everything is gone. So they are crying. So that's why the shipmasters will cry. Was there ever a city like this great city? We almost, we believed we have hit a gold pot. And here, oh, what has happened to the city? The city is, uh, is, is under fire. In one hour, she has been brought to ruin. Uh, John basically allows us to see the fall of Rome from the perspective of those who had grown powerful and rich through their involvement with the city and its economic system. Uh, you, you will go and study any government, uh, what's happening. 
how people become rich. Uh, we don't, I don't have to detail those things. People become powerful and rich because they, they have some kind of cozy relationship with the bureaucrats, with the ministers, with the political parties. You just cannot oppose them. They are the people who rule. And that's what was happening in Rome also. And that's what will happen in the future also. People always exploit the system to their benefit as a result of which since there is so much of exploitation, some people will be deployed or more people will be deprived of their due. Uh, that's why the gap between the rich and the poor will always keep widening. You see the pre-COVID level and post-COVID level, you will see that the gap between the rich and the poor, what we get to see in the news and in the media, it is all, uh, they themselves have been bought and they themselves are being benefited. So you don't get the true uh, facts unless you get to interact with people and, to, and, and then you see. As I interact with uh, Chitra, I realize how many powers are operating in that small slum? Maybe around 500 families are there. How different political parties have kept these people under their control? And they don't want these people to go out of their control. Water, they have to pay some money, then only water will come. Their sewage, it will be cleared only if they pay some money. You know, they've kept them under control. And when you take initiative, to give them these uh, facilities, they are opposing, they are opposing. It's a, it's a challenge. Uh, it's happening everywhere and it's happening even today. So we go to the next words. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her with the judgments he imposed on you. Interesting. You know, rejoicing is, is taking place in heavens. That means God is watching. He's seated on the throne and he's seeing what's happening in this world. He's not detached from this world. He's watching and he's seeing this um, injustice and especially the kind of violence uh, that is being perpetrated against God's people and God is watching. And when the destruction comes, the Bible says, rejoice over her, you heavens. When a sinner turns to God, again, there was so much of rejoicing in heaven. And when a judgment takes place, again, there is rejoice over her, you heavens. That's the kind of rejoicing because it's the vindication of the righteous. God's people have been martyred for no crime of theirs. Uh, you know, in fact, it's like whatever the laws they used against God's people, God is using the very same laws to, you know, to judge these nations. Whatever laws they use against the Christians, God will use the very same courts or the very same laws to judge these nations. So the fall of Rome is a cause for rejoicing and praise of God. That's what we see in this verse. Uh, here, the merchants are mourning because the Romans fallen. And in heaven, people are rejoicing. Angels are rejoicing. Uh, 
Rome has fallen. See the contrast. In one place, they're weeping and mourning. And in one place, there is so much of rejoice uh, over the fall of Rome. Uh, in this book, as I said, uh, in the Jewish apocalyptic literature, contrast is a standard pattern. We have already seen when the great, in chapter 12, we saw that when the great dragon was hurled to the earth, there was rejoicing in heavens. Whenever evil is destroyed, there is rejoicing in heavens. Whenever people turn away from evil and come to God, again, there's rejoicing in heavens. That's what's happening here. The evil is being brought to an end. And so there's rejoicing uh, in heavens. God will pronounce sentence on Babylon on behalf of the martyred saints. If we were to tell the story of people who were pushed into this amphitheaters and how brutally they were killed today, when they receive that judgment, there's rejoicing in heavens. Uh, you know, believers have been tried and executed in the world's courts, but it is the world that is really on trial. Whenever God's children are being tried and executed in the world's courts, what's going to happen, what's going to follow out is, the, it's actually that court, that system that is really on trial. And one day God will deliver his justice. Now in the next four verses, what we see is the finality of Babylon's doom. As I told you, Babylon is a term uh, in the Old Testament, it literally, geographically, it denoted Babylon, but in the book of Revelation, Babylon denotes Rome. Thereafter, this Babylon refers to any evil empire. Even today in 21st century, it refers to an evil empire, evil government, and what will happen to that government. Right in 20th century, I can name several governments which have fallen, empires, the kings, the rulers, who have just, you know, who have been thrown out. So the fall of countries, the division of countries, we can go on and on. And that's what's going to happen. In verse 21, then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, with such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. Uh, nations that have been judged by God have not come up again to that level. They've never come up. And uh, the great city of never to be found again. Uh, basically, is again, he's speaking up this language from the Old Testament. He's speaking up this language from the book of Jeremiah. Because in Jeremiah 51, 63 to 64, Jeremiah writes, when you finish reading this scroll, tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates. Then say, so will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster I'll bring on her and her people will fall. So this is the language uh, John is also using in the book of Revelation. In fact, Jesus used this language in the gospel of Mark. It says, if anyone causes one of these little ones those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. And uh, 
drowning always uh, it was considered as a terrible fate it's it's not a pleasure to die uh, drowning and uh, th that's what will happen to this country and to the people of this country we go to the next verse he says uh, the music of harpists and musicians pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again no worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. You know, what John is basically uh, describing is, the, you heard the word ghostly silence, it's going to be something like that. There'll be no noise, no sound, no music. In other words, there was, there's no life in that city. Everything is gone. Everything is quiet. Uh, that's that's the situation. That's the kind of environment that will prevail in in Rome. Uh, contrast what's going to happen in heaven. Uh, we have already seen that in, in verse in chapter fourteen. We saw that you know in heaven the harpist will play. There is music in heaven, whereas when God judges, uh, there'll be no music, no music, and that's what is highlighting in the next verse. He says, the light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. There are important points that we need to learn from this passage. Uh, you know, he says the voice of bridegroom and bride. Uh, your marriage is considered to be an uh, the, the ultimate sound of joy. Yeah, marriage means there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of fun. There's a lot of music. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again means there's, no, there's, there's not going to be any joy. Collectively, there's not going to be any joy. Uh, again, this is all talking about terrible destruction. And again, there's a language from the book of Jeremiah 25.10. He says, I'll banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp, the voices of bride and bridegroom. He's again picking up from the Old Testament uh, prophetical books to describe what's going to happen to the Rome. And Babylon would be left as a widow. Initially, the, the queen said, I will never be a widow. Uh, I will never lose my children, which we have seen earlier. Now, this Babylon would be left a widow and she'd be like a sorceress like Nineveh. Uh, she's like a, you know, a, a, a prostitute who has enslaved nations. That's the language we saw in this uh, book. In Nahum 3.4, uh, it says, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute, alluring the mistress of sorceries, who enslave nations by our prostitutions and peoples by our witchcraft. These evil powers have some kind of power. I, I want to uh, emphasize on that. There are evil powers in this world and you cannot just say that, you know, there's no power in witchcraft. There's no power in black magic. No, there is power. There is power and that's what the, you know, revelation is warning God's children uh, magic was a major practice in Asia. We, for us, uh, you know, it doesn't need much of explanation. 
because people, they suffer and struggle because of these evil powers. Uh, God has given us his protection. When you hear some of the individual stories, what's happening in their homes, they are not able to sleep, they are not able, they keep hearing noise, uh, something is happening there and some sickness, some death. When you hear all these things, uh, you'll be shocked. Uh, I'm not trying to frighten you, but I'm just trying to tell you about the reality, reality of these powers. This witchcraft, black magic, all this, they have power. Bible never says it has no power. Uh, some other people will say that, uh, you know, you're in Christ, they, they, that's nothing, nothing. No, uh, we, we don't, because we are in Christ, this power has no effect on us. But to say that it has no power, it just shows our ignorance. But the revelation warns us that anyone who practices these evil powers will be judged. Right in the book of, in the Old Testament, the King Saul was warned not to go to that, uh, you know, to invoke the dead powers. And what happened to him? Uh, we know the history. So as Christians, we should be away from these powers. And we should pray boldly for people who are struggling because of these powers. We should pray that God will deliver them. When we pray in the name of Jesus, there's power in the name of Jesus and Jesus can deliver those people. And Bible warns us to, warns the children not to dabble with these powers. They are dangerous. And we will be judged uh, if we dabble with these powers. Uh, in the next, the last verse of this chapter, it says in her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people and of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. Why, does, why this downfall? Why, Rome, why did Rome fall? The reason is, in her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people. God is concerned about his people. Anyone touches his people, he's watching. He knows that. He keeps a record of it of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. And that's continuing and it is increasing. More and more countries are persecuting the Christians and God is watching that. Uh, God will judge them one day. Uh, it is not true that Rome killed all the righteous people. It's not true, but technically what Rome did was it killed most of the people who are followers of uh, Christ. In other words, God is concerned about the corporate sin. And uh, corporate sin recurs throughout the history. And if one is not careful, uh, that country will be uh, judged. This is the tragic uh, end of the city. The city that was glorious, that was prosperous. Uh, you know, people were busy buying and selling celebrating, having music, partying, dancing, all that. Uh, they had all kinds of comfort. Now, everything is gone. There is a go there's a ghostly uh, silence. There is no more music. There's no more sound, <coughs> no more marriages. And everything has come to ruin. And as I said, this chapter is a funeral hymn when I started the chapter 18 and it ends 
with the explanation why this downfall. It is because these people, they refused to take part in the cult of the emperor gods. They did not worship. They resisted the emperor's orders. And so uh, they met this fate and the Rome. Rome was also judged. This only shows that uh, though Rome was a powerful country, uh, people thought there is no other country which is so powerful like Rome. Uh, but John's faith in his God is amazing. Uh, he says, my God is sovereign. He is the king over all the rulers of the earth. So he was so confident when Rome was in heydays, when everything was going fine for Rome, John, in fact, John was punished and exiled to Patmos uh, because the rulers were not pleased with John. But John had the courage to write, I know my God. I know my God. I know my God is strong and mighty, mighty in battle. And he will bring, he will judge this country and this country will be destroyed. Uh, and he writes as the Rome had already fallen. That's the beauty of this book. When he's writing that Rome was prosperous, the way he's writing is Rome had already fallen it has been destroyed because the actual destruction will come sometime uh, 300 years later. That is sometime in 410 uh, AD. Uh, if you read the history, there's a uh, Alaric is the leader of the Goths. He attacked Rome and he just destroyed that Rome. After that, Rome has never come up, never, never come up. So what do we learn from the book of uh, Revelation? What do we learn? Is there something that we learn or it is just a history and it's forgotten? There are lessons that we can learn. John wrote this book basically to stimulate faithfulness on the part of persecuted Christians. They were undergoing persecution. That was real. Uh, so he is just trying to uh, encourage them. Be strong. They, you will live forever and ever. But these rulers who are persecuting you, they will not live. They will be destroyed. And he's telling them, ultimate victory belongs to Christ. He is victorious. He, will, he is a king who is seated on the throne and he will rule forever and ever. So the ultimate victory uh, belongs to Rome. Basically, Babylon, when we read, Uh, when we basically we read about Babylon, uh, Babylon is only allegorical, symbolical of the idolatry that any nation commits when it elevates material abundance or military power or technological sophistication, um, racial pride. What did the Germans do? Racial pride, if you read the history. Uh, whenever they, they elevate creature over the creator, uh, that nation will fall. And that will happen in the history. It has happened down the lines and it will happen in the future also if Christ tarries his second coming. Uh, 
you know, when, when we think a country is developed because of the money, prosperity, uh, you know, what we call as GDP, and we think that is development, and we get occupied, oh, it's a very developed country. Uh, that is not development in God's eyes. In God's eyes, development is when they fear the creator and when they respect other human beings. Now, what's interesting in this chapter is God's judgment is not only against individuals. When we read the book of Revelation, it is not only against individuals. You know, God is judging also the nations, the power structures, uh, where, you know, all principalities and powers, all evil powers. He is also going to judge all the authorities, all corporations, institutions, structures, bureaucracies, administration. He is going to judge all MNCs. God will judge them. Uh, one day he's going to judge. Now, we should, as Christians, sometimes we are very good in applying these words to the outside power, to the outside structure, to the outside government. We should be very careful. Uh, the words of John are applicable also to the present-day church structures. We should be careful. Otherwise, God will judge us also. You know, there are many things which are happening in church. Uh, anyway, it's for us to be careful about our own church. Uh, are we practicing uh, racism, casteism? Are we doing that? Are we more about materialism? We need to ask. If you are not careful, our church will also be judged. Any church will be judged. So that's what we learn from this, uh, from the book of uh, Revelation. Remember, the sins, the sins hardest to see are those where our culture shares the same blind spots we have. Uh, let me give you one example then I think you'll be able to understand this. Uh, why is dowry an issue? Why even Christians, they practice dowry? Because they want to have more money. Why do they want more money? Because the society honors a person who has more money. So the culture, uh, if, you see the, if you see around you, uh, there is a money god. They worship a money god. There is a god exclusively for wealth. And Christians, uh, they don't realize when they talk in terms of dowry and all that, what they are doing. Basically, they are sharing the very same sin the culture shares. But we are blind because everything is fine around us. But God is concerned about all these sins. That's why the sins hardest to see are those where our culture shares the same blind spots we have. Uh, we have to be careful. So what we learned, uh, there are vindication of faith. God will vindicate us. All the Rome successors, the evil empires will be judged. 
they will be judged. People who repress God's people, they will be judged. But we must not uh, see the short-term troubles. We must see that we are people made for eternity. God will reward us. Uh, so John, what he's doing is he could stand on the shoulder of earlier prophets, recognizing that God's people have remained even when the empires will conquer them, collapse. We know what happened, what the Babylonian empire, Assyrian empire, we know all that what happened. So he had that confidence. So he could have that confidence that God will do the same with Rome and history has vindicated his faith. So we can also have that same confidence in our God. God who vindicated his children in the past, God will vindicate his children even in this 21st century. So we should have that kind of faith. And he's also calling us to come out of Babylon. What does it mean? God wants his people to come out of Babylon, which we saw in this chapter. So this is basically a call to holiness and we must not misunderstand holiness. Holiness is not simply a matter of avoiding certain kinds of activities uh, as some traditional churches have emphasized. He's a holy person. If he doesn't smoke, he doesn't drink, he's considered as a holy person. But that is not the kind of holiness uh, Bible is talking about. It includes that, but it is much more than that. Holiness is separation from the world to God. Uh, holiness is basically to say that I'm not going to, you know, if you all want to make money through illegal means, I'm not going to be part of it. If you are going to exploit your customers, I'm not going to part of, I'm not going to be part of this business venture. That is holiness. That's the kind of thing because holiness is basically a man who is immersed in God's word because he studies God's word. He takes, he derives values and principles from God's word, not from what he sees on TV. So he's going to, he, you know, he's going to turn down um, a better paying job because he felt God wanted him to work in a different place, perhaps among the poor. That is considered as holiness. That's what is known as coming out of Babylon. You know, you don't go to your place where you're being really paid and paid, and that's not the focus. It's not that you should not, but when God calls you, are you ready to leave this place? That's what's known as holding on loosely to material things. And God wants uh, his people to hold on to material things very loosely. Um, I'm ready to serve God wherever he calls me. I'm ready to go to this place because God wants me there. That's, that's what's known as coming out of uh, Babylon. Uh, you know, it is said 80% uh, of brain development occurs by age two. 80% of brain development occurs by age two. And they say that 150 million children in the world lack the protein intake necessary for adequate brain development. And because of that, uh, they end up in permanent retardation. Do we have a role in all this? As children of God, is there something God is asking us to do? Uh, we may criticize, they are lazy, it's because of like this, but uh, God is expecting us to go beyond that. Uh, that's what God 
expects from his children. You know, one of the studies says that it's, they just need 30 to 40 billion a year to provide all people in developing countries with basic education, healthcare, and clean water. And this is the amount that is spent on golf every year. I'm not saying people should not play golf. I'm not saying that. It's, it's, I'm not passing on individual judgments. I'm just trying to say the kind of amount just to help the poor people, but the kind of money that is spent on games, on entertainment, it's not that we don't have money. The rich people, they, that's why we talk about greed. Uh, God, the Bible talks about greed. Bible talks more about money. We have turned it into prosperity gospel because it appeals to our uh, senses. But Jesus Christ, he spoke against that kind of materialism. And Rome was destroyed because it has lifted up materialism, promoted emperor worship. Um, even today, as in John's day, profit margins matter more to some people than justice. The kind of profit margins, the kind of profit people make, the kind of profit companies make, it's huge, it's huge. They are not interested in justice. If you, if you just read some articles on how the Amazon forest is being destroyed, how people are exploiting, uh, how they're destroying the forest and how they are selling that land to big, big companies, you'll be shocked. And God is watching over that. And how about shedding of innocent blood? How often we hear about abortion? Uh, we don't have good records in our country, but it says in the United States, uh, at least one and a half million uh, babies are aborted a year. These are recorded abortions. There are something known as unrecorded, in, you know, which is not known. We don't know, but one and a half million a year, uh, that's 15 lakhs. It's a huge figure. And when we say God is a God of justice, uh, he's watching over all this. Uh, we have completed the chapter 18. Uh, next Wednesday, we'll see chapter 19. Any questions? If there, are, if there are no questions, uh, I have just this announcement to make that it's about the Friday evening devotions, uh, dwelling on the cross. This Friday, March 12th, we'll meet from 8 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. You all know the meeting ID and the passcode. Uh, looking forward to see you all on Friday. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Glorious Father, we thank you for this time that you have blessed us with whatever we have studied we pray lord the word of god will produce 30 60 and 100 fold harvest for the glory of your name uh, give us a mind to think meditate and to reorder our life's priorities oh lord in a way that will bring glory to your name give us that grace to withstand all persecution and the kind of abuses we face increasingly in a totalitarian regimes, oh Lord. We pray for people who are undergoing severe persecution. We pray for people who are in prison right now because 
They did not give up on their faith. Pray, Lord, you will send your angels, protect them, guard them, and provide for them. Be with each one of us. Bless us with good health. Bless us with your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, unfailing love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. God bless you all.